0: How we doing? Oh, <laughs> that good, huh? That good? I was saying they put these balloons out so I'm like not dumb enough to walk off the stage. I was like, thanks, guys. Thanks for thinking so highly of me. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good in 2016. <laughs> you look good. Have you lost weight? Um, Welcome, welcome especially if you if this is your first time I'm so honored to be with you guys. what a gift to be here and uh, I hope that you sense something different when you walked in the doors uh, honored honored to be here with you tonight and we are calling this new series Sweet 16 because as a staff we have been believing um, that this is going to be a sweet, sweet year for every single one of you in here. That's kind of been our prayer life and, and you know, we get to this season, we get to January and to January 1st and it's this time of year in America where everybody is kind of like, they've got this gumption, they've got this new drive, they've got this declaration in their heart that this year isn't gonna be like last year, right? Like, this year's going to be better. This year's going to be maybe the best year that you've ever had. And we know this is true. We know that this is true for every single person because on January 1st, your gym is insane. (laughs) <laughs> I, got, I went to my gym last week, and I pull up, you know, and I, look, hey, I had no judgment towards anybody. I'm like, you know, I go to a very normal gym with like older people. There aren't a whole lot of meatheads there, although I love you meatheads. I'm so glad if you're here tonight. Um, <laughs> honored to have you. you. Um, But it's just mostly, you know, like moms and I don't know. It's people like me. And so I like my gym, right? And I roll up and, like, the first row of parking is all taken up. And the second row of parking is all taken up. And the third, like, this is abnormal. The third row is all taken up. And the fourth, and I have to park in the fifth row. And I'm walking up and I'm, like, sweating before I even get in, which is not the goal. I want to sweat inside. And I get in and, like, and I do my thing, right, like I'm doing my elliptical or whatever. And um, this is a true story, but most of the people in my gym, and no offense to you if you've got some New Year's resolutions, but I have never seen you before in my life, and I'm like, who are all these people, and so, and then I start doing my circuit, right, and I'm, I'm doing different weights and stuff like that, and I'm on the pull-up machine, and this dude with, like, super good hair, and, like, no, he's not really wearing many, like, it's like a strip of cloth (laughs) in front of him, and, and, and he kind of starts walking over to me, and I've got my earbuds in, and I'm like, oh, hey. You know, just kind of being nice. And all of a sudden, he gets close enough where I realize, like, he's in my bubble. And I'd pull out an earbud, and I'm like, oh, hey. And he's like, hey, do you mind if I jump in? And I'm like, what? Like, what is this gym lingo? I don't know what does jump in mean. And and I realized what he was saying in this moment, and this just cracked me up, was he wasn't patient enough to wait for me to get done. So he wanted me to get off and be patient enough to wait for him to get done. That's what he was saying. And I was just kind of like, I don't understand. This is new gym for me. And so, but, but he had this gumption of trying to establish himself. And I think we all have this at the beginning of the year where it's like, this year's going to be different. It's not going to be like last year. This is my year. This is my year. This is my year to get out of debt. This is my year to kick that addiction. This is my year to, um, to make things happen for myself financially. This is my year to move forward in my job. This is my year to increase my influence. This is my year. And what you need to understand is that as I have been praying and I have been seeking God for this group of people, for myself, for my family, for Red Rocks Church, the thing that God has been saying to me, and I always pray that it's something that, that doesn't come from my heart but from his for you, is that this is your year, that this is the year of the Lord's favor, that this is a year of increase for you. And tonight, I hope to build a case for that for you and that this isn't just a year of wishful thinking where you go to the gym twice and then you go home and you eat a whole case of Turkey Hill ice cream. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just my New Year's resolution and how that works out, (laughs) but that it's real for you. And so this is the verse that um, in your birthday cards, we wanted to wish you a sweet 16. There are some verses in there, and one of them is this verse, and you need to tack it up above your mirror and above your bed and make this your prayer. I would challenge you to make this your prayer for 2016. It's this. It says, uh, 1 Chronicles 4.10, Jabez called upon God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God, because he's good to us, granted what he asked. He said, God, increase the boundaries in my life. Increase the borders in my life. Give me a level of leadership I have not had yet. Give me a level of influence I have not had yet. Give me a level of financial stability I have not had yet. Give me peace in my life that I have ha- not had yet. And for those of you, um, maybe some of you don't know, but how many of you know what a border is? If you're voting for Donald Trump, do you know, you know what a border is? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) A border is a boundary or a perimeter that you as a person are allowed to travel within. And so if you are an American citizen and you drive up to Canada and you arrive at the border with your citizenship and with your birthright, there is only so far that you are able to go without some paperwork. That is your boundary. That is your border. And in this prayer, Jabez is saying, there is a border to my life. There is a boundary to my life. And up until now, this has been as far as I have been able to go in my influence, in my leadership, in my abilities, in what I have to offer, in what God has brought me. This has been as far as I have been able to go. And then he prays and he says, God, you supernaturally move this out. For me, enlarge my border so that I can move out and expand and have more and and not just have more, but influence more and bless more and give more. God, expand my boundaries. And this is my prayer for you. And this is what I believe God desires to do for you in 2016. And I uh, titled tonight, if you're taking notes, The year of increase. The year of increase. And so let's bow our heads and just say thank you ahead of time to the Holy Spirit. God, um, I'm so grateful to you. I know that you're here. You are such a good God to me. You are so faithful to me. And you are faithful to every single person in here. And I pray that tonight that you would build a case for your character that you would build a case for who you are for us, that um, our hearts would be opened wide with the realities of who you are, the fact that you want us to move forward, that you're a God of increase, that you're not a God who is stingy towards us. And God, I pray that tonight um, that your Holy Spirit would just touch every single person in here, whether new of faith, curious about faith, no faith, God, that you would just um, speak to them individually. Um, And we, in this moment, I pray that every single person gives permission to you uh, to move. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So the Lord is constantly looking for ways to increase your life. He is a God who scatters seed. He is a God who is constantly looking for ways to grow you. He is a God who is constantly looking for ways to bless his children. Um, But the reality with this is that with increase, there always comes risk and there always comes discomfort. And if you don't believe me, think about the story of Mary. And he looks at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he says, Mary, you will be blessed among women. You'll be favored, highly favored. That is what he called her. And he said, now it comes for the discomfort. And now it comes for the risk. You're going to be pregnant. It's going to be uncomfortable. Everyone around you isn't going to understand You're going to ride a donkey to a census at nine months pregnant. This is going to be difficult, and yet this is what it will be so that you can be increased. To Moses, he said, Moses, you're going to lead my people. You're going to um, take them out of, of, of slavery. You're going to be the one that leads them into freedom. I'm going to give you a promised land. There's a place that I want you to go, and you are the person to lead them there. I'm going to increase you, Moses, and now... I need you to go tell Pharaoh that his slaves aren't going to be there tomorrow. And that if he doesn't let my people go, then I'm going to send plagues. See, there's increase that God wants to give to each of us, but the reality is is that that always comes with discomfort and it always comes with risk every single time. A few years back, YA was meeting at a small little room over at Golden called the Student Center. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. We were growing. But then it got to a point where um, we were kind of bursting at the seams. We had, um, we had outgrown the room. And people were standing in the back. And you'd raise your hand to worship and swat the dude next to you and be like, I'm sorry. It's your nose bleeding. And, and uh, we realized we had, like, we had to do something. And so I asked the Lord over break, and I said, what do you want to do? How do we do this? How do we play this? God, what do you want now? And he made it very clear that he was going to increase, but that that increase was going to come with some discomfort. And he said, I want you to move the ministry. It's going to be a longer drive. Most everybody that's going to uh, attend this is going to have to drive farther. It's going to be a different room, and you're going to kind of feel like the redheaded stepchild within this building. And they're going to be like, Oh, you're 20 somethings? Are you going to leave pizza everywhere? You know, like you're going to just feel uncomfortable in this room. And yet, that was the reality for us. It was like, if you want the increase, there is going to be risk. There is going to be discomfort and we see this all throughout scripture. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to camp out in Matthew 14. And this is Jesus interacting with a group of people and with his disciples. And this is Jesus on display showing that he loves to increase his people. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages to buy themselves some food. But Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Everybody say, you give. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls, of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 5,000, besides women and children. So what we're reading is Jesus trying to remove himself. He has just discovered in the verses prior that his best friend and his cousin, one of his close confidants, John the Baptist, has been murdered. And so he's removing himself from people to go and to mourn. And he removes himself from people, and it says in Scripture, in a couple of different translations, that he goes to a desolate place. He goes to a solitary place, to a desolate place to be alone. But then the crowds end up finding him, and he has compassion on them, and he begins to minister once again. It gets to be nighttime, and the disciples come to him, and they're like, well, it's late, and there's no place to eat, and there's nothing, uh, nothing to sleep, and so you need, to, you need to send them away. This is a desolate place. Matthew fourteen fifteen. as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. This is a desolate place, is what other translations say. And the word desolate, if you go to Webster's, it says this it is a place deserted of people in a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. Where in your life right now do you feel as though there is desolation? There is no growth, there is no life. There is no movement. Where in your life right now could you take a look on the inside and say there has not been any movement of any kind? This is bleak and dismal. There's no growth happening here. The very first time I came to this campus, we were invited by a pastor, and he said, I want you guys to come here and check out this new campus that Red Rocks Church has just purchased. And I'm, like, pumped we show up to Lakewood campus, which was a Hobby Lobby, and then it was turned into a Vietnamese grocery store. And I walk in, and immediately it smells like the stench of dead fish. <laughs> and there's frogs like in the back in like crates, like dead frogs. I know. And there was birds that had lived in here and and homeless that had lived in here. And there were sleeping bags and syringes where people had done drugs. And I remember looking around and being like, this place is awful. This is terrible. Where are the places in your life that just seem like they're not moving? There's no growth. There's no life. There's nothing there. Maybe for you it's a marriage or it's a relationship that hasn't had any fruit, that no matter how much you put into it or you're trying to make it work or you're hoping for the best, there's just, it's dead. There's no life there. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a job that you've been asking and you've been pursuing your boss and, and seeking him out to see if maybe there's a new position, a management type of role, something where you could move up and the doors only close. Maybe you're praying for influence. You're praying for leadership or some type of direction in your life, but a year goes by and two years go by and three years go by and there's no movement. Maybe for you it's financial stability. And eating ramen in college was cool, but it's just not (laughs) cool anymore. A desolate place is a place where there is no growth plus time, where there is no movement. Plus time, And over time, we begin to think and we look at this space and we think, surely nothing good could ever happen here. Nothing could ever grow here. It's hopeless and it's desolate. And the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this place is remote. It's terrible. Send these people away so that they can have something to eat. It's nighttime. And isn't this what they do? I mean, isn't this what we do? They say, Jesus, we need to leave. Okay, this place is no good. we got to go somewhere else in order to get our needs met. Isn't this what we do? (laughs) We look at the desolate places of our life and we look at maybe the, the marriage or the relationship and we're like, well, it's not working out. It's not working for me anymore. There's no hope here. I've been putting as much energy and time as I possibly can, but they're not changing. I'm not changing. This isn't changing. If I had a different relationship, if I had a different location, if I had a different person, surely things would grow. If I had a different job, a different boss, somebody who believed in me, if I had a different place, a different location, maybe things would change for me. If I had a different financial situation with a different paycheck, if I could just convince someone to pay me a little bit more, maybe my finances would actually be at peace. I just need to... Change it up. This is how we are in our desolate places. And the reality is is that we look at these places and what happens in our lives and over time is that we no longer are able to see the possibility in those places anymore. We are no longer able to see what God sees in those places anymore. We are no longer able to see with faith eyes. This was me walking around the Lakewood campus. (laughs) I looked around and I was like, oh no, we bought this? (laughs) Okay. And I could not see with faith eyes. I saw with my eyes and what I saw was not good. And was not good enough. And I remembered Eric, my boss and my friend was walking around, and he's like, "This is where the stage is going to be, and this is where um, this is where, you know, the, the seats are going to be, and over here where the homeless people were sleeping, that's where the bathrooms are going to be, the bird poop, you sweep that away, that's going to be a really cool area for kids' rock, like. And he was able to see beyond. What I could see that day. And I wonder this tonight. Have you lost the ability to see potential in your desolate places? Have you lost the ability to see potential in your desolate places? Have you actually given up having faithful eyes in the areas where you have not seen movement? Have you given up faith in those areas? And I was reading Matthew, and this was the word that stood out to me. That word desolate stood out to me. And the disciples in this moment, they can't even fathom God doing anything here. They can't even fathom what would happen in that place. But listen to this. There is no such thing as a desolate and empty and non-growth place if that is where God has called you and if that is where God has placed you. There is no such thing. And tonight I want to make a case that God specializes and he actually really enjoys and he actually really loves taking our empty, dead, desolate places and making it where he does his best miracles. And so there's a couple of things I think we can take from Matthew 14. And the first thing is this, is that God wants you to offer what you have. He wants you to offer what you got. Matthew 14 says this, Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And Jesus said, then bring them here to me. I love this exchange. Um, I love this exchange so much because the, the level of responsibility even though it weighs or even though it rests completely with the Lord and it rests completely with Jesus, he puts it back momentarily on the disciples. And I I love the times where you read Scripture and you can kind of get a little bit of Jesus' personality and you can see a little bit of his frogginess and his sassiness. And I picture the disciples coming to Jesus and they're like, they present the need. They present the need. There's nothing here. (laughs) There's nothing good here. There's nothing to eat. And he goes, well, all right, boys. Sounds like you need to do something about it. You go feed them. And he shifts the weight of responsibility back on to them. And I think this is the first thing that God always does with us is that he places an ownership back on us whenever we present a need. I mean, because isn't it so easy for us to talk about our needs? This is me all the time in our household. Like, I'll just look at the laundry and I'll be like, babe, we have so, like, there's so much laundry. It's just a like, does everybody drool all over every single article of clothing? Do you change nine times? Like, I don't understand. And he's like, well. Sounds like somebody needs to do laundry, you know. <laughs> <sighs> or, or we'll be downstairs, Well, he'll be downstairs, and walk over to the cupboard, and you open it up, and it's like, oh, jeez, there's nothing to eat here. Like, there's you know, better cheddars, or like, fake Newmans. Like, there's nothing in here. And then, you know, from upstairs, somebody will be like, oh, it sounds like somebody needs to go shopping, <laughs> you know. And God knows this about us. He knows that it's so easy for us to present our need to him. It's so simple for us to present what we need to God, to complain about what we need. God, I have been single for a really long time, Lord. I just need a girlfriend. I am so sick of showing up to young adults by myself. I'm sick of my fellow friends and all of their nice girlfriends with their cute purses. Like... Sick am sick of being alone, Lord. I'm tired of feeling like I don't have somebody to share my heart with, God. You know, God, I'm, I, I'm so frustrated right now in my life. I need money for my car. You know, the catalytic converter went out or this, this, this thing just blew. I need money, God. Or God... I have no purpose. I have no path. I have no vision for my life. Give me a vision and give me a purpose. And he looks directly at us after half an hour long of complaining and stating our needs. And he says, well, what are you doing about it? He puts the responsibility back on us not because it is up to us to produce an increase in our lives, but because it is up to us to be faithful. And there is a principle of faithfulness here in Matthew 14 that Jesus is trying to communicate. What are you doing, disciples, with what I gave you? So he looks to his son and he says, Son, I know that you don't have a girlfriend. I see that this is a desolate wasteland for you. I am uh, fully aware. (laughs) But son, do you remember that conversation that you had with a mentor last month? And he challenged you on your pornography. And he said, you know, maybe it's time that you started filling your brain with what is good and what is right and what is noble and what is pure. And he challenged you to read your Bible every morning and to just give it a shot to actually try to fight a good fight in your life. Have you even cracked your Bible, son? (laughs) Or are you just crapping on your Bible, son? And son, I love you. And son, I have a wife for you. And son, she's waiting for you and you don't even know the storehouses of heaven that I've laid up for you, son. But here's the thing. I'm not going to hand her to you. If you don't know how to steward her, what are you doing with what I'm giving you? Girlfriends, girlfriends in here, it goes both ways. He's looking at you and he's like, I know, daughter, I know that you don't have any money right now. I know that you have no way to get to work right now because of your car issue. I understand that. But, daughter, what are you doing with your money? Are you generous or do you hoard? Do you tithe? Do you do the things that I've been asking you to do? Or do you just hunker down? Because here's the deal. I own everything in this world. The 10,000 cattles on the hill, they belong to me. And I am waiting to bless you financially, daughter. But here's the thing. I have seen you with a credit card. (laughs) What are you doing with what I gave you? I am in charge of the increase. This is the Lord talking. He is in charge of the increase, but we are in charge of the faithfulness. And the responsibility with the increase starts with us. I hear you, son, about waiting on your purpose. I hear you. And here's the deal. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the plans I have for you. This is what the Lord says to us. I have plans to give you a hope and a future, but here's the deal. I am watching you right now in that four-person office and in that desk job that you do not like. And I'm watching how you steward those people. What are you doing with what I've given you? See, when we look at our lives sometimes and we see these deep pockets of desolation and God sees the perfect place that he can't wait to perform a miracle. But he needs us to own a piece of it. And he says, what are you doing with what I have given you? Offer up at least what you have to this place of desolation. Be faithful at least with what you've got to this place of desolation. And I promise you that this will be the place where I perform my greatest miracles. Are you offering up what you have even if you don't make much? Are you tithing? Even if the relationship is difficult and it doesn't seem like it's showing fruit, are you honoring that person? Are you trying? Even if you know you feel like that job isn't what you want, are you giving it the best that you have? He looks at his disciples and he says, "Bring what you have, boys." What do you have? And they bring him five loaves of bread and two fish. And has it ever occurred to you that they don't want to give their lunch to Jesus? Has it ever occurred to you that this isn't something they are desiring to do? They don't make lots of money. They weren't thinking, oh, today I'm going to give all my food away to Jesus, and then he's going to give it to 5,000 people. And sometimes the only time we give to the Lord is when it's easy for us is when it's not complicated, when it's not difficult, when it doesn't really require much of us. And he says, hey, disciples, my, my friends, bring me what you have. And they faithfully bring him what they have. And here's the deal. God can work And what you surrender to him. And here's the deal. He can do more with what you give him than you can with what you keep. He can do more with your places of desolation where you are faithful than you can being in a place of abundance by yourself. He is waiting to work a miracle in these places. The second thing is this. Thanksgiving comes before the increase and not after. Matthew 14, 19 says this, Taking five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Don't you find this interesting that Jesus is giving thanks? Because I do. Jesus is a part of the Godhead. He was creator God. He made the mass that we sit on. He made the soil. He, made, he was the one that invented the seed. Like how miraculous is a seed, this tiny thing that produces a crop? And, and he produced a man. He created a man and then gave us ideas enough to take this and harvest it and then process it into bread. He gave us all those things. He's the one that invented it. And yet Jesus, thanks God, As he breaks the bread, he thanks the Father. What kind of humility in this moment. And he thanks God ahead of time. And I think uh, Jesus is trying to present to us that there is always an order to the kingdom. And that if we want increase in our lives, if we want to see movement in our lives, that we have to be willing to humble ourselves and to submit ourselves to the way that the Lord's kingdom operates. And thanksgiving is a gigantic part of that. And isn't it interesting that it it is before the blessing? And I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to, to be thankful when he gives me a blessing And I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you. This was good. It never occurred to me when I was reading this scripture to give thanks ahead of time. And then I was thinking about my daughter, and um, right now she really loves goldfish crackers. And she comes to me, and um, she does what we all do in our humanity. This is what we're capable of doing. And she just stands in front of the cupboard, and she goes, "Ah." mama, mama, fishies, mama, fishies. And I'm like, cool, you know, and I give give her some fishies, and I look down, and I go, now, Brooklyn, say thank you. Thank you, Brookie, say thank you. Brooklyn, Davis, thank you. You say thank you, or you're not getting more fishes. You say thank you right now. And she goes, thank you. And then she runs away. But every now and then, it's not always, believe me. But every now and then she comes to me and she kind of sits up next to me and she'll be like, mama, please, fishy, do not you? <laughs> and here's the reality. I, I, I do care about her manners so deeply, but um, it moves my heart not so much with her words or exactly what she's saying, but kind of with the sweetness of her heart towards me. It moves my heart in such a special way. And here's the deal for us is that God doesn't need our thanks He doesn't need our thanks, but I think it blesses his heart in such a beautiful way. He doesn't need an ego boost. He doesn't need your approval of his gifts. That's not it. Thanksgiving more often than not has to do with our hearts and the fact that he wants our hearts to be filled with sweetness. The Bible says that every issue in Proverbs... That guards your heart because every issue of life comes out of your heart. If your heart is full of bitterness and want and complaint, every issue of life flows out of that. But if your heart is full of thanks and openness and sweetness, every issue flows out of it. And God knows this. And so he gives thanks. He says, give thanks, church, not because... I need your thanks, but because you need your thanks. The Bible says this, First Thessalonians, and it won't be up there. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in your desolation. And last night, I was thinking to myself, and I was like, my goodness, I am not giving thanks in the area that I want to see fruit. And so I started being like, well, all right, all right, all right. Because right now, and I'm just being honest with you guys, okay, and I'm not saying this in a way, um, just let me share with you. Right now, John and I have been house hunting, and i got to be honest, it's been one of the most depressing um, seasons of, of searching and And being shut down that I've ever been through. And so, uh, but I'm like, no, the devil doesn't get, he doesn't get my joy. And so, God, so I'm like, God, thank you for my house. And you might not bring it right now. And you might not bring it next year. You might not bring it five years. But I thank you because it's going to be perfect. Because why? Because you love me. And thank you, God, that I'm going to see increase in Red Rocks youth this year. And that kids are going to get saved in the city of Denver. And thank you that Red Rocks Church is going to grow this year. And thank you, God, that my family is going to grow and that this baby is going to be healthy. And thank you, God, that Red Rocks Young Adults is going to have a year that is unmatched from last year that I don't need to even compare to last year, that you have new and greater things that you want to do. I thank you. I'm going to thank you in the areas that I see the greatest need. Where are your areas of desolation? And even if you can't see fruit right now, Would you give thanks? Would you give thanks in that area? God says, if you do this, it moves my heart. And not only that, it changes your heart and it readies you. It readies you for an increase. Faith is the assurance of what we don't see and the hope of what we do not see. He says, give thanks because it's on its way. You just don't see it yet. And the last thing is this God is in the business of increase. God is in the business of increase. Matthew 14, 19. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they ate and were satisfied. This is how it is when Jesus works in our lives. And disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those that ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. And I do this sometimes with Scripture where I try to picture the story, and I think, okay, like, how did this work? Like, the disciples hand out the fish and the loaves, and I picture people breaking them, and like, does it, does it just blow up in their hands and get bigger? <laughs> like, is that how it works? You know, they take a little piece of fish, does it just get bigger? Does it, is it in a basket? And as they're pulling out of the basket, it's like Mary Poppins' purse. Like, it just is, there's just no end. But I do know one thing. Based on my time, and you're just going to have to trust me, um, my time of being with the Lord and, and my growth with the Lord over the years, and that's this, is that um, the Lord has such joy watching us eat, and receive his gift. And I picture Jesus kind of just sitting back and being like, isn't this awesome? <laughs> he's looking at his disciples, and his disciples are, you know, their minds are being blown. They're like, I don't understand what's happening. And he's like, I know. <laughs> so good. On Christmas morning this year, I videoed my daughter, and I was going to show up, but it's not a very good video because um, I'm not very good videos and uh, she comes down the stairs and Santa Claus had come and she just has she made these noises I never heard her make and she goes oh 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 Santa Santa and and I go yeah baby Santa came and and um, you know and she would rip open her stuff and she was like overwhelmed and just so stoked and um And here's the thing is, I didn't worry a bit about her being spoiled that morning. I was so excited to watch her unwrap her gifts. And here's the thing about you and here's the thing about me is that we so often forget that he is our our dad. He's not a removed God, young adults. He's your dad. And he loves watching you unwrap his gifts. He is in the business of increase. And as I was preparing for this week, I felt the Lord speak so deeply to me that there are so many people in this room tonight who do not know who the Father is. And you don't know the character or the heart of God. And you don't understand how much he loves you and how much he is in the business of increase. That he wants to pour out on you and he wants to lavish you and he wants to just overflow in your life. And he can't wait to do those things. John 10.10 says this. It says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I came that they may have life and life abundantly. And I was reading that this week and I felt like the Lord said to me, Jesse, sometimes my people think that I'm Satan. Sometimes my people think that I take from them, that I withhold from them, that I'm stingy with them, that I have a hard heart towards them, that I'm waiting for them to perform in some way, that I'm waiting for them to measure up in some way, that it's the American God, that when you work hard enough and you earn some stuff, then maybe he'll give you some stuff, but until then, I'm not going to spoil you because who would want that? And God says, I am a God that came to give life and give life abundantly, increasingly, bountifully, This is your Father. 1 John says that he pours out his love lavishly on us. God is in the business of increase. And tonight, what I believe he wants to challenge you with, and if everybody would be willing to stand tonight, what I believe he wants to challenge us with tonight is that he wants to increase in your life that he wants to move in 2016, that he can't, he's, he's just looking to and fro among the earth for someone that's faithful and that's gonna offer up what they have and try to be responsible with what he's given them. And the moment he sees that, he says, all right, some increase. He can't wait. The storehouses of heaven, he said, are waiting upon people that are willing to be faithful to him. And all he's asking for tonight is, are you going to offer up what you have in your seasons of desolation? Are you gonna offer up what you have? And are you gonna give thanks even in your season of desolation because it will ready your spirit and your heart for what he is about to do? And lastly, who do you think the father is? And this is probably the most important part tonight. And so with every eye closed, I have two questions. And the first thing is this, maybe you're in here tonight and you don't know who the father is. You don't know who Jesus is. Somebody dragged you here. And um, and and you ended up listening to a message and a sermon and there's balloons, but Jesus spoke to you tonight and simply said, this is me, I love you so much, I wanna increase, I'm your father and maybe you've had a terrible father, but I'm a good father and I wanna lavish my blessings on you and this has never been a God you have heard about. And tonight, if you would like to meet Jesus for the very first time, I I would be honored to be in your presence tonight and if you if that's you if you're saying I want to meet him for the very first time would you um would you just raise your hand nice and high just raise it up and say I would like to meet that God I would like to meet that Jesus amen 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 second question is this maybe you've been a Christian for a while but you have not had um, this belief that he wants to move in the areas that you least expect him to And tonight, he just wants to speak to your areas of desolation. He wants to speak to the areas that you feel there is no growth. And if you just want to say, God, I trust you tonight. And I'm going to receive anything that you bring me in this area. Will you just raise your hand out of faith? Amen. Sweet. God, thank you for tonight. I pray for the people, first and foremost, who received you as their Savior. God, um, Scripture tells us that if we are not ashamed of you before humans, that you will not be ashamed of us before heaven. And so we don't only get your Holy Spirit here, but we get you forever in heaven, forever. I pray for those people that you guard them, protect them, and that tonight that they would share with someone that um, they have received you as their Lord and as their strength. And for every single person in here that um, feels desolation, God, I pray um, that you would just let them know that you are moving, that you are ready, and that you are waiting, God. And that the thanksgiving will open up the storehouses, God. That the that the praise will open up the storehouses, God. That the expectancy and the faithfulness with those desolate places, God, that's exactly where you want to do the miracle. It's not somewhere else. This is it. This is where you want to do the work. And I pray that every single person in here tonight. We just receive that in faith. We thank you for 2016. I'm so grateful to you, Jesus. In your name, amen.